We begin with a text, and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. And it says, God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world and things which are despised have God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Let's pray together as we study. Our Father, we thank you for your precious word. We pray that you will anchor us deeper and deeper upon that which you have said is your word. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Speaking about small things or foolish things that confound the wise, uh, there's a beetle called a bombardier beetle. How many of you have ever heard of that? Any of you? One, two, three, four. But the rest of you have never heard of it or seen it. Well, this is what it looks like. And it's called a bombardier because it has guns in the back like an airplane with uh, a turret that has guns that shoots. Now, what's interesting about this beetle is that it has the ability in it from its tail to shoot different directions. Here, it's shooting underneath himself toward the front. You see, uh, you can see the spray coming out. Can you see that? Uh, can you see now the spray going down toward the bottom? And now the spray is moving. And now he is shooting directly to the back. And so this beetle is an amazing little beetle. It actually has a guns that it shoots at its enemy when it's being attacked. And the, the liquid that it uses is 10% uh, hydroquinone and 23% hydrogen peroxide. Now, what's interesting is that when you mix those two chemicals, they explode immediately. They what? Explode immediately. Now, if you believe in evolution, then you have to think of this process. These little beetles were trying to figure out how to defend themselves. And they came up with somehow with the idea that if they could mix these two chemicals, then they would be able to defend themselves. But there was a problem. You had to do something to mix them at the right time. If you don't mix them at the right time, uh, they will explode. In other words, they had to put them in separate containers. So these beetles had to figure out Number one, which chemicals to find to be able to mix. Number two, uh, make sure that they did not mix until they needed them to be mixed. So these ingenious beetles, billions of years ago, were trying to figure out a way to defend themselves, and they first came up with the hydroquinine, and then they came up with hydrogen peroxide. And one time they mixed it, and the beetle got blown up. So. Every beetle that came after here tried to mix it and that got blown up and got blown up and got blown up and blown up and blown up. And finally, the next beetle decided we got to do something about it getting blown up. So they decided that they had to separate the chemicals. So then now they had chemicals that separated, but it didn't do anything for them because while the chemicals were separated, they didn't uh, do what they were supposed to do. So they kept these chemicals in these containers within them, their bodies uh, millions and millions and millions of years. They've been eaten up and eaten up and eaten up and eaten up. Can't, can't, they can't defend themselves. 
finally they decided to come up with a mechanism where they could actually use these chemicals to defend themselves. So they created two other chambers. And, but the other chambers had, uh, here they are. You can see the picture of the chambers inside. So now they had two chambers or glands which produced a liquid mixture and then two connecting chambers. So now they had to take the liquid into a, a chamber that was connected. But because the liquids were exploded immediately, they had to put something to stop the reaction. So they, they created a substance to stop the reaction. So now you have the two liquids together and they would what? Not explode because now they had an anti-explosion concoction. But it wasn't saving them. So millions and millions and years, millions and years, they're getting eaten up still. So then they figured out what they could do. Then they put it into a separate chamber. In that chamber then, they put the anti-explosion uh, remover and boom, they had the explosion. So think about it. After millions and millions and millions of years, they finally figured out how to perfect the system so that the liquids could be contained and then put in the right combustion chamber and then at the right time it could explode when they needed to uh, eject the chemical to defend themselves. Do you believe that story? No. It had to be instantly put together. It had to be what? Instantly what? Put together. That beetle didn't have the brains to figure all that chemist out. I mean, even Einstein took him a long time to figure things out. Do you understand? Yes? And the, you, you recognize that it's taken mankind, uh, if they have been around for millions of years, it's taken mankind millions and millions of years to figure out where to get where we are right now. And we still haven't gotten where we're supposed to get. So, it is true then that God uses the simple things to confound what? The wise. Here's a little beetle that it is unexplainable how that little beetle figured out how to correctly put these chemicals, the right chemicals, number one, with the right percentage. Did you hear that? Number two, and know how to actually keep them apart and then combine them so that they could do the job that they need to be doing in order to shoot at the enemy when it is being attacked. And you know that that did not evolve. It had to happen instantly. Some mastermind had to put it together. What do you say? And the scientists are befuddled. They're what? They're befuddled because they can't figure this thing out. And guess what? As long as they believe in evolution, they never will figure it out. Because there's something that are called irreducible complex systems. What are they called? Irreducible. That means you cannot reduce it. You know, like the mousetrap, right? You know the mousetrap. If you take one part off the mousetrap, will it work? No. So all the parts have to be in place precisely at the same time in order for the mousetrap to work. Well, in your bodies, you have a lot of irreducible complex systems like the eye. If the eye has one part missing, you cannot see, period. So all the parts have to be in place at the same time in order for you to see. And that's only one mechanism besides all the other mechanisms that you have in your system. So it's called irreducible, which means cannot be reduced, complex systems. 
And this little beetle is one of those examples. So God uses the simple things to confound the, the wise. Let's go to another thing. How many of you have heard of theistic evolution? Any of you? Theistic evolution. Now, I have to confess to you that it's an oxymoron. The word is. Theistic has to do with who? With God. Theistic has to do with God, and then you have evolution. So you have theistic evolution. They're not compatible terms, but it's a term that's been coined, and it's simply, it is not a scientific theory, but a what? A range of views about how the science of general evolution relates to religious beliefs in contrast to special creation. In other words, those that find it impossible to believe that God created the earth in six days have come up with some means of putting creation together with evolution so that it makes more sense to them. And I think you heard the recent Pope say, God is not some magician when he was addressing the issue of creation. God is not a magician. And he was right. God is not a magician. However, he was only using that to explain evolution, that evolution is true. But you and I know that God does not have to be a musician, magician in order for him to do what he has to do. Magician is somebody who actually does something by, by uh, uh, deceit. God is not deceitful. Everything that God does is true. So let's consider the theistic evolution simply is that rather than one day, God made everything in a thousand years. So each day equals how much? A thousand years. So it took a thousand years to do this, a thousand years to do that. And some of them use the text where it says that one day to the Lord is has a thousand years. You understand? Now, I personally as a pastor and uh, as a Christian have a, a real problem with theistic evolution. And here's the reason, or here are the reasons why. Number one, the Bible makes it plain that God created the earth in six days. And we know that it's a literal six days simply because uh, even though the French Revolution tried to change the weekly cycle to 10 days per week, uh, they discovered that it doesn't work that way. And scientists now have discovered that all of us, how many of us? All of us function on a seven-day weekly cycle. Your bodies are programmed that way. Did you know that? You did not know that. Your bodies are programmed to function at a weekly, seven-day weekly cycle. So when the French government tried to change the weekly cycle to 10 days rather than seven days, it failed. And they miserably had to admit that they had to get back to the original. And so God makes it plain that in six days, because if every day equals a thousand years, there's not one of us that can keep the fourth commandment. Because the fourth commandment demands that we keep one day holy. How many? One day holy. And not one of you lives a thousand years. Not even Methuselah lived a thousand years. 
He only, he was shy of a few years, but he didn't reach 1,000, did he? He only reached 900 plus. So the scripture is clear about the one, one day week worship. It is also clear about the six literal days of creation. So to doubt a literal six-day creation would mean that all which was written about Christ must also be doubted. Let me make a statement, and I'm not trying to be arrogant, but just a statement of, that I believe is factual. You cannot be a Christian and not believe in the creation week. Can I say that again? You cannot be a Christian and not believe in the creation literal creation week. And here's why I'm saying this. First of all, Jesus himself believed in the creation week. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 through 6, Jesus is making a statement concerning creation. And he simply says, he that made them, made them male and female. Now, Jesus did not at all shy away from his stance that he believed there was something called creation. He didn't use the word creation. He simply used the simple word made. He that made them, made them male and female. So Jesus does believe in creation. What do you say? Is that true? So if you believe that it took a thousand years you are contradicting what Jesus taught. And if you contradict what Jesus taught, you are not a Christian. The word Christian means that you are in harmony with him who is called the Christ. And that is Jesus Christ. So, number two, if you, if you believe in theistic evolution, you cannot believe in the instant creation of Christ. In other words, Christ instantly created things. In, for example, Matthew 14, verses 13 to 21, is a story where the people were with Jesus all day long, and finally toward the evening, he felt sorry for them, and he told the disciples, have them all sit down, and you feed them. And they said, where are we going to get food? And they were, there was a little boy with fish and loaves, and he took those and blessed them, and completely bypassed the normal process of growth. In other words, he made bread, he, right? Instantly made bread, which means that he bypassed the planting, the growing of the plant, the plant finally coming to fruit, and the plant being gathered in, the fruit being gathered in, that's the grain, and then finally grinding the grain, and then finally mixing it up with all the substances to make what we call bread. So he completely bypassed all that process and made instant bread. So if you have a hard time believing in creation, you certainly will have a hard time believing that Jesus can bypass all that's necessary for you to grow something in order to cook it. So instant creation. You cannot be an atheistic evolutionist and believe that Christ was able to instantly perform a miracle where something was put together, completely bypassing normal, the normal processes of growth. Instant bread, 
an instant fried fish. He didn't even have to have the broiler with him. Do you see that? Well, you can't also believe in the, in the resurrection. If you're a theistic evolutionist, you must deny res the resurrection. Jesus took a man who had been dead for four days, his name was Lazarus, and went to the tomb, and after the sisters said, by this time he stinketh, which means that his body was putrefying or de decomposing, by this time he thinketh means that he was already deteriorating, which means then that all the DNA had been uh, affected, and consequently the molecules that made up that man were being dissolved. And in that situation, in that condition, Jesus went to the tomb and simply said, Lazarus, come forth. And when he said, Lazarus, come forth, in an instant, how fast? In an instant. There was a hearing of something inside, and lo and behold, the man that was dead got completely reconstituted and came out walking as a living man. You cannot believe in the resurrection of the dead if you believe as a theistic evolutionist or an evolutionist. There are many things that Christ did. Christ restored sight. There were some scientists that thought that they were going to uh, do uh, an eye transplant. So they took a young man, 17-year-old young man, uh, who was perfectly whole ex except for his eyes. He was born blind. And they decided they were going to put eyes in that young man so he could see. So they actually transplanted good functioning eyes of somebody who had passed away, and they implanted the eyes on the boy. And after the surgery, the boy was still blind. He could not see. And they couldn't figure out why. Everything was working as far as the eye was concerned. The eyes could move and everything else. And what, they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And finally, they realized what the problem was. You cannot see unless the brain interprets what you're seeing. And that boy had no interpretation, no point of reference to use those eyes. Consequently, the brain could not interpret what he was seeing. So in order for you to see, the eye has to communicate to the brain, and the brain has to tell you that you're seeing. Do you understand? So it was not just a matter of having balls that you can implant in people's uh, uh, sockets, and all of a sudden, whammo, you're, you can see. No, on the contrary. It's a complete process that must take place, an education that, that, that develops as a child grows. He is interpreting. He is what? He is interpreting what he is seeing. And you cannot see unless your brain interprets what you're seeing. So seeing is not about just having the mechanical eyes. Seeing is about being able to, through experience, to develop that. And so this young man in the Bible is born blind. And Jesus comes up to him and restores sight to him or gives him sight, instant sight. And it's so marvelous that the Jews are, are kind of shocked. And they go to the parents and the boy and said, is this your boy? Was he really born blind? Yes, he was born blind. Well, how does he see? Well, don't ask us. He's old enough. Go and ask him. And so they went to ask him, how in the world did you see? Were you really born blind? I was born blind. Then how do you see? Well, I don't know who did it, but whoever did it gave me sight and I can see. 
And so if you're a theistic evolutionist, you must deny that Jesus had power to restore human sight. Jesus walked on water. It's another miracle. How many of you have tried to walk on water? The closest you come to is being on jet skis, right? Is that true? Or standing on a boat and walking inside the boat while the boat was floating on the water. Jesus walked on water. Another scientific uh, paradox for people who believe in theistic evolution. When uh, Peter cut off the ear of that servant of the high priest, Jesus immediately stood, and the Bible says in Luke 2, 22, 50, that Jesus replaced the ear. Now, I've spoken to people who are surgeons, and they say that one of the difficult, one of the most difficult organs to reconnect and all that is the ear, because it has nerve endings that extend throughout the, the entire body. And so, for Jesus to instantly reconnect something that had been cut off from that man means that God performed a miracle. What do you say? And therefore, if you believe in theistic evolution, you must deny that Jesus had the power to reconnect that ear that had been cut off. There are too many things in the Scriptures concerning Christ that betray this thing that's called evolution. In the book of uh, Luke 24, verse 36 through 43, uh, Jesus had conquered death, but the disciples did not believe it. And when Jesus appeared to them, they thought he was a ghost or a spirit. And Jesus said, come over here and handle me, for a spirit have not flesh and bones as you see me have. They still didn't believe it. So he said, do you have something to eat? Well, they gave him something to eat, and after he ate, then they marveled and realized that Jesus indeed had conquered death. What do you say? And so, if you believe in theistic evolution, you cannot believe that there's such a thing as the resurrection from the dead, and that Christ actually did rise from the dead after being dead. How long? Okay. You can't either believe in ascension. Jesus ascended up into heaven, and you know that mankind has not been able to fly until the Wright brothers came up with the genius idea that maybe they could figure out how man could fly. So today, people are figuring out all sorts of ways they can fly. But in those days when this thing was written, nobody ever saw anybody fly. Jesus actually defied gravity, and no one has been able to figure out how to do what Jesus did. You can do it in a plane, but bodily speaking, you cannot do it. You see, Jesus said, I am going out to my Father's house, and I'm going to come back again. And if you don't believe in creation, you cannot believe in the Creator. If you don't believe in the Creator, you cannot believe in all that Creator did when he walked on this earth. And so, he was born as a, as a miracle baby without what we call normal insemination. It was what you would call spiritual insemination. But I don't want to use the word that normally is used when they say artificial insemination. Christ was not old officially, but by God's grace, he was inseminated and was born of a virgin. 
There are many things that the Bible states that make it clear that there is creation. You cannot believe in the second coming of Christ either, of a person who goes to heaven and comes back bodily to rescue those who have died. And you cannot believe in the final resurrection of all the myriads of people who have perished, who have died, have gone into the dust, and basically have disappeared as far as matter is concerned. Folks, if you believe in theistic evolution, you cannot accept the teachings of the miraculous power of God to do that which is beyond human comprehension. How is it that a divine being can come back and all he has to do is shout and everybody who has ever lived gets reconstituted and comes back to life? And how long does it take? The Bible says in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. If you cannot believe that the master fashioned a body out of dust, there's no way, shape, or form you're going to believe that by shouting in a twinkling of an eye, everybody who has ever died comes back together whole again. Do you understand? You cannot believe that. And so you either believe evolution or theistic evolution and completely disregard that there is a God, or you must believe God and completely disregard all of these ideologies or uh, ideas that people put out concerning where you and I came from. I'm thankful that the Bible is clear that I did not come from some monkey. As much as I love monkeys. But I'm thankful that God created us in a higher form to be able to reflect his likeness and his character in his love. And so, the recreation of the earth cannot be believed in either by people who are theistic evolutionists because the Bible says then that God melts the earth, destroys the very elements, and then he creates a new heaven and a new earth. And so, if he creates a new heaven and a new earth, the word creation simply means that God puts it together instantly. He has the power to do so. I'm glad that you and I will not have to wait a few million years before the earth gets reconstituted so we can live back on planet Earth. But rather, God says very plainly that he creates a new heaven and a new earth. And what a joy that will be for all of God's children to actually be in that holy city. And because the walls are made of transparent gold, you'll actually be able to see right through the walls and watch as God recreates the earth. That will be an amazing experience, what do you say? How many of you are looking forward to that? Can you imagine that? Actually being in that city and looking through those transparent walls and there, hear the master say, let there be an earth. And all of a sudden, zoop, 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 I'm not sure how it's gonna happen. But it will happen, what do you say? The fact that we're here reveals to us the reality that everything that God says will transpire. And so, you cannot be a theistic evolutionist and believe in an instant recreation after the earth is dissolved. So, you either believe in Christ, in creation, in his word, or you have to disavow anything that has to do with God and creation. I remember Bruce Price, E.B. Price, pastor who just passed away two years ago, 
a dear friend of mine. He got a call from a Wesleyan, that is a pastor from the Wesleyan Church, concerning a certain man by the last name Ford, who was in a meeting in Sydney, and uh, the Wesleyan called the pastor because they were friends. And the Wesleyan said, I was in this meeting with a Dr. Ford who stated that he did not know any geologist who believed in the literal weekday cycle, seven-day weekday cycle. Well, there were some people in the audience that raised their hand and said, uh, we got telephone numbers that we can give you on the, who, of geologists who do believe in the seven-day weekly cycle. And, they, and the Wesleyan pastor told Pastor Price that Dr. Ford just simply said, bully on you. Friends, you either believe exactly as the Bible teaches or you must discard the truth of God and the reality of God. And you make shipwreck of your faith. Now, what is the real issue then? The real issue is, is not creation because that cannot be changed. No matter what people want to do, you cannot change creation. It is an attempt at changing what? The Word of God. An attempt to change what? The Word of God. And the Bible makes it plain then that there would be an attempt not only to change the law, but be an attempt to change the Word. And so, let's consider the inspiration of the Bible for a few moments. First of all, Jesus used the Scriptures to correct wrongs and or ideologies. If you read to chapter 4 of Matthew through 7, in the great, great Sermon of the Mount, you will see that he is correcting wrongs that have been creeping in into the Jewish faith, that uh, he was correcting culture. Jesus was not a culturist. And by the way, with all due respect to those who use the word culture, culture is simply a word that covers up what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches to reject traditions and customs because traditions and customs divide people. They what? They divide people. Jesus and the Bible always speaks about customs and tradition. So what they have done is they have taken custom and tradition and put it under the heading of culture. And now culture means refinement. So now you can't speak about anybody's culture because that's offensive. But even though you shouldn't speak against culture, you should not accept culture if it contradicts the Word of God. What do you say? You should accept only the Word of God and all of us should be enculturated into the heavenly culture. What do you say? You know, when I was a Puerto Rican, being brought up as a little boy, we ate pork chops. We ate what? Pork chops. But when I studied the Bible, I found out that that was unclean. And I couldn't, I, I couldn't believe that my mother would use, she used to cook for us what was called pork feet. And I still remember the pork feet kind of the hooves kind of sticking out of the water and this white foam that would come up on top of the water. And I didn't know what that was until I went to Loma Linda School of Public Health and studied health over there and discovered that that foam that's coming up that people 
when they cook the pork, the pork is pus that is in the in the uh, legs of the feet of these pigs and when it's being boiled up it actually screeches out i didn't know that but here's one thing i can tell you i never liked that stuff anyway so even though my mother would beat me i wouldn't eat it you understand i did love pork chops but when i became converted i put away childish things now i'm a vegetarian and praise god I've been a vegetarian now since 1968 and I thank God for the health message of the Bible. Of what? Of the Bible. Jesus used the scriptures to do away with those things that divide people. He also pronounced the word as the only source of power over temptation. When he was tempted, he kept on saying, "It is written. It is written. It is written." He didn't say some parts of the Bible you can use. He simply said it is written. Now, he unequivocally stated that uh that it proceeded from whom? From the mouth of God. It proceeded from whom? From the mouth of God. He had no question, no doubt where the this Bible came from. He said it proceeds from the mouth of God. And by the way, he was quoting from the Old Testament. And if he was quoting from the Old Testament, woe be to those people who say that the New Testament is the only book for us, because our Savior believed in all of the Bible, not just part of it. So, Jesus confirms that the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. If you want to have eternal life, you must have that word f- form in you that life that only comes from the Savior. You cannot find salvation apart from the power of God in your life. Next point, it is through the exceeding great and precious promises according to 2 Peter 1:4 that we become partakers of the divine nature. Notice it says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust my friends you and i have corruptions that are in the world through lust in our bodies and the only way to escape those corruptions is to accept the incorruptible word of god to push out the corruption that's in us so you want to become christ like you must believe that the word of god serves the purpose of putting in you a likeness of god what do you say That's why it says, whereby are given unto us something that ex- exceeds greatness. That's why he uses the superlative, exceeding great. You understand something that exceeds great and precious, something that exceeds precious. And what is that? The promises of God that through them you can become partakers of the divine nature. In order for you and I to take the flight to space, you and I must partake of the divine nature, and that is done in us through his word. If you have no confidence in the word of God, you will not partake of the divine nature, and you will be lost. You must believe in his precious word. What do you say? Romans and in Psalms says the following. by taking heed to the word of a young man 
can cleanse his way. Whereby shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. And in verse 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. Thy word have I hid in my heart. And in Romans 10, 17, it says, by faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Without the word of God, you will not have an increase of faith. You must increase your trust in God, your faith in God, if you're going to be saved. If you don't, then you'll be lost. I'm glad that God provides the avenue by which you and I could become all that we can become. What do you say? Think of it. You don't have to climb some steps on your knees, uh, grueling and making all these exercises. All you have to do is take that precious word and open it and pray that God through his spirit will enlighten you and that word becomes part of your thinking. And as it becomes part of your thinking, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if you take divine thoughts and you allow them to saturate the mind, you become like your savior. Hallelujah, what do you say? And it, it's not complicated, it's not difficult. There doesn't have to be a surgery performed upon you to put something in you. There has to be an incision in you made by the Holy Spirit. You put in you the Word of God. Christ never made his word subject to dissecting. In other words, Christ never gave anybody the authority to take his word and dissect it and say, this is inspired, this is not inspired. On the contrary, he made his word the dissector. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and what? Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. And it's a discern of the thoughts and intents of the heart. As a person comes to the Word, all of a sudden he begins to see himself as he really is. God begins to open up the inner circle of the heart. And one begins to see himself in the true light. And uh, through the same Word, God provides that healing power to change the heart and make you all that God says you can become. And since Christ declared that all the Scripture is to be the Word of God, it would be more than blasphemous for anyone to assume the impossible task of determining what peace is inspired and which is not. In Timothy, it says, From a child that has known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ. All Scripture. Is given by inspiration of God. How much? All Scripture. Peter says that men are inspired. Paul says that men are inspired. And the word inspiration simply means God breathed. What does it mean? God breathed. God inspired people to write his counsels. Us. Now, Peter says, The prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, but the holy man spake it, they were moved by the Holy Ghost. In a recent convocation, there was an attempt to change the wording of this and make it non gender, 
neuter. In other words, rather than saying the holy man spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, they put holy person spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Well, I objected to those theologians and I said, you cannot do that. It says holy men spoke. I said, men wrote the Bible. They said, no, there's good evidence that uh, Esther wrote the book of Esther. And I was shocked to hear a theologian say that. And so I wrote to them and I said, please provide for me the evidence where Esther wrote the book of Esther. I have looked high and wide. I was talking to theologians and I haven't found anybody or in any source that tells me that Esther was written by Esther. Well, they wrote to me and said, well, it's true that it's controversial, debatable whether Esther wrote the book of Esther, but Deborah wrote in the book of the Bible and, uh, and Mar Mary in the Magnifica wrote in the book of Bible. I couldn't believe a theologian writing that. And I wrote him back and I said, Deborah did not write. Deborah was a subject of the writer. Mary did not write. Mary was a subject of the writer. Luke wrote and quoted what Mary said as given by the Holy Spirit. I said, there is no proof that Esther wrote the book of Esther. Everything suggests, as the Bible clearly states, holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm a chauvinist. It simply means that I'm a childlike believer that believes that if God says it, that settles it. What do you say? I don't have to quibble with God over saying, well, wait a minute, God, while you're telling me that women could not write the Bible? That's not the issue. God chose men to write the Bible, and I have to accept that. What do you say? And when I accept that, I'm standing on the place that Jesus stood. All Scripture, how much of it? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. I can't believe that the, in the intentions that there are out there to change the word just to uh, make ladies feel more comfortable with the Bible. I think women who are godly are comfortable with whatever God suggests. They're even, they're even comfortable with a donkey speaking, simply because God says that it is so. What do you say? Any of you women have said that a donkey spoke in the Bible? I don't see any women raising their hand, which means then that you have accepted that God is able to do all things. Even Jesus said, if you don't cry out, the rocks will cry out. And so we do not quibble with what God says. We simply just accept and thus saith the Lord. Well, to the Romans, Paul wrote the following. He said, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Notice he doesn't say in some of the Scriptures. He says in what? In the Holy Scriptures. For whatsoever things were written afore time were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have what? Might have hope. I praise God for his holy word. Listen, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my, my what? My words. Are those only words that are registered in the four gospels? No. When he says my words, what is he talking about? He's talking about the entire book of the Bible. He inspired it all. It is Christ who gave the inspiration to the Holy Spirit. It is Christ who is actually the author of the Bible. That's why he said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, 
and they are they which testify of me. And by the way, I wrote a little book called The Angel Who Is Jesus uh, to prove that Jesus is through the entire Bible. You can find them from Genesis all the way to Revelation. He is indeed the center of the Scriptures. And it's called The Angel Who Is Jesus. I don't have the time to give you all of that, but you can read the book yourself. John 6, 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh, profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. My friends, when you read this book, you're not just reading another book. You're reading the words of the life giver. We are told that in every promise and in every command, this is in C-O-L, Christ Object Lessons, page 38, it says in every promise and in every command is the, the life of God, the power and the life of God by which the command can be fulfilled and the promise realized. Did you hear that? So in every command and promise is the power, the very life of God by which the command can be fulfilled and the power, and pardon me, and the promise realized. So, when I read this, I must recognize that I am standing before a holy God who through his word can enable me through his promises to become all that he says that I can become. There's some people today who argue about perfection. Oh, we will never get perfect. But friends, in the Bible, it's clear that there are people who were perfect. The Bible says Noah was a perfect man. The Bible says Abraham was a perfect man. If they were perfect men before, certainly they can be perfect men today. What do you say? Not in our own standing, but by the Spirit of God. Would you say amen to that? All of us can grow in grace and become more and more Christ-like. And that is done through the very life of the Word of God. When I'm tempted, what do you think I turn to? In my mind, I turn to the promises of the Word of God. When I have thoughts that I shouldn't be there, what do you think I turn to? I turn to the promises of the Word of God. And through the power of the Word of God, those thoughts flee. I thank God for His precious Word. What do you say? Listen, the soul that converses with God through the Scriptures, you hear that? The soul that converses with God through the Scriptures, who prays for the light and opens the door of his heart to the Savior, will not have what? Evil imaginings, worldly scheming, or ambitious lust after honor or distinction in any line. He who seeks for the truth as, God, as for hidden treasure will find it in God's means of communication with man, his word. What's his means of communication? His word. David says, The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. Our friends, Notice it says that God placed his work in such a careless manner that man can fashion it to suit his own inclinations, receive that which was agreeable to him, and reject a portion. Would God give visions to correct his people of their errors and then trust to the erring one's judgment to receive or reject what portion of them he pleased? God doesn't work that way. God gives the message, and then what does he do? and then take special care that it is not corrupted. 
Did you hear that? God gives the message and then takes special care that it is not corrupted. Good news, what do you say? And by the way, you don't have to have a PhD or MDF or DMIN or anything like that to understand the Bible. A child can understand it because God has not limited his scriptures just to the intellectuals. Anyone who in their hearts desire to find God, all they have to do is turn to the scriptures. Now, some people say, but, but you know, the, the, it's the old King James. Who can understand it? Well, the problem is with all, all of us who are older. Kids don't have any problems understanding the King James. You expose a child to King James from the time he's a child, and he'll learn it. The problem is not the, the, the Bible. The problem is the, the cup, Kanagan, that which we have up here. It gets gray with matter. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, in Europe, you go to Europe, and there are little kids, four and five years old, speaking three languages, five languages. Well, how, how, what does that mean? If you and I as adults can't learn the King James Version and the kid of four or five years old can learn five languages and make that kid more intelligent than us? No, it just simply means exposure. What does that mean? Exposure. You expose yourself long enough to something and you will be able to absorb it. That's all it is. And some of us just get too lazy. We get what? Too lazy. We want to dished our way. If you trust in the Spirit, God will enable you to understand it. Now, here's some quotations that I want you to consider. There are some that may think they are fully capable with their finite judgment to take the Word of God and to state what are the words of inspiration and what are not the words of inspiration. I want to warn you off that ground, my brethren, in the ministry. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. There is no finite man that lives. I care not who he is or whatever his, is his position that God has authorized to pick and choose in his word. One of the things that has shocked me recently it's a new hermeneutic that is being offered as a new way to interpret the Bible. Based upon culture. They call it historical cultural hermeneutics. And the essence is this. If Paul makes a statement that sounds like it's cultural, like let women go home and ask their husbands, that's not inspired. And the reason why all this is going about is because of this new issue about women ordination. Trying to find some way to, to, to establish that. But friends, you don't have to twist the scriptures to accomplish something. It's dangerous to do that. It's what? Dangerous to do that. And here it says, I want to warn you off that ground, my brethren in the ministry, who is what she's speaking to? Specifically to who? To ministers. Notice it says, 
Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. There's no finite man that lives. I care not who he is or whatever his position that God has authorized to pick and choose in his word. Once you start dissecting the Bible and saying this is inspired, this is not inspired, you are on dangerous ground. The safest path for all of us is to accept that God inspired all the scriptures. What do you say? How much of it? All of it. And it is something that all of us must remember. Jesus himself used the scriptures to establish who he was as well as what the truth was. He said in one of the parables, talking about Lazarus and the rich man, when the rich man supposedly asked uh, Lazarus to send somebody to, uh, uh, pardon me, to Abraham to send somebody to talk to his five brothers, the response was, they have Moses and the prophets. Moses is the first five books of the Bible. What are they? The first five books in the Bible. In German, they say first Moses, second Moses, third Moses, fourth Moses, five Moses. In English, we say Exodus, Genesis, uh, pardon me, Genesis, Exodus, so forth. You understand? So when it says Moses, it's referring to who? To the writings of Moses, which are the first five books of the Bible. So he says they have Moses and what else? The prophets. That includes how much? The entire Old Testament. Let them hear them. And he said, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And it's true that the Lazarus did rise from the dead, and they did not believe. They rejected and even purposed to kill the main evidence that Jesus was the divine to get him out of the way so that people will not be able to look at Lazarus and be reminded that he was resurrected. And so, Timothy says, for the time will come when they will not endure what? Sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. The life of Christ that gives life to the world is in his word. It was by his word that Jesus healed the seas and cast out demons. By his word he stilled the sea and raised the dead. And the people bore witness that his word was with power. My friends, he spoke the word of God as he had spoken through all the prophets and teachers of the Old Testament. The whole Bible is a manifestation of Christ. And the Savior desired to fix the faith of his followers on the Word. I present to you then the Word of God. Take it as it reads. Pray earnestly that God will keep you stable on the Word. Don't allow yourself to be moved this direction or that direction. There are many, many, many ideas floating out there. But our safety is to be anchored upon the Word. What does that song say? Give me the what? Give me the Bible. Holy message, shining. Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way. Precept and promise, law and love combined. Isn't that wonderful? 
I want to ask you then, you who are living in these last days, you who now recognize that there's an attempt again to attack the Holy Scriptures, to undermine His teachings, to get you to accept ideas based upon human ideology rather than upon the thus saith the Lord. You who are today standing here, listening, where do you stand concerning the Word of God? Is it that which you base your faith upon? Or is it only something that you base your faith upon? Will you accept it as the entire inspired Word of God? And will you stand this morning and say, I still believe that this is indeed the Word of God and that it's the inspired course for me to lead me from where I am all the way to the kingdom. Will you stand to that? Are you convinced that it's still the Word of God? And are you willing to stand for it irrespective of what happens? Let us pray. Our Father, we know that much blood has been shed in the past to give us what we have today. We know that people were willing to be cut asunder, wandering in animal skins, hiding in caves, just because they believed in keeping your word. And now here we are today, the last defenders of the truth. And we pray that you will not allow us to accept cunningly devised fables, but that you'll help us to stand on thy word. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.